Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 19th of April, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us northern exposure from north of the border. Uh, well, I'm sure everybody in UK will be aware that it's vital that people follow the UK government's uh, statistics and data on vaccines. Uh, we would agree, particularly uh, the government's own statistics and data on vaccine adverse effects. And so we're going to encourage our audience today to go to the MHRA yellow card uh, website. So we've reproduced this on screen. And at the start of this news, we're going to very, make a very clear statement that our audience should absolutely do their own research by visiting this website following the links through to the yellow card and vaccine adverse reaction data and studying it in great detail because we know that most of our audience will be astonished when they actually realise uh, what the government is reporting, what it is storing and what it is actually hiding from the UK public as this uh, vaccine programme expands. So let's have a look at uh, how the uh, MHRA covers the data. So you'll be led through to this. And I want you to pay attention firstly to the right hand side of the screen because the top link coronavirus COVID-19 vaccine adverse reactions, that is the link to click, which will take you through to the data. And I've screenshotted this page shortly before coming live uh, on the news today. So there's no mistaking where the data has come from. Uh, but of course, you should also pay attention to the left hand side of the screen. Let's expand that because this is where the government starts to use applied psychology to distract people from the truth. COVID-19 vaccines. Vaccines are the most effective way to prevent infectious diseases and they save millions of lives worldwide. Like all medicines, vaccines can cause side effects. Most of these are mild and short term and not everyone gets them. So that's the blockading statement from the UK government. Let's look at just one summary table from their own statistics. This is the government's own statistics. Uh, this is uh, what one of the data runs will look like. This is for Pfizer. So I've simply taken one page. It says report run date, the 12th of April, 2021. The data lock date, the 5th of April, 2021 at 1903 seconds apparently. So let's expand that so you can see the key bits. Essentially the total reactions 132,528 of which 314 are listed as deaths. Uh, that is just for Pfizer and it does not include all of the pages talking about the overall reaction. So I'll read that again. Total reactions 132,528, deaths 314. And if we have a look at AstraZeneca, uh, it's the equivalent page. Let's bring up the key bit here. So what are we talking about? Total reactions 492,105 and deaths 521. Uh, we'll put a caveat in here that the MHRA itself states that drug and vaccine adverse reactions 
are significantly underreported. And I think you've got a bit more data coming up on that, Mike. Yeah, well, so this is uh, the yellow card. Uh, it's the MHRA publishing this in May 2019, so before uh, COVID uh, began. Uh, and they said 2018 saw a fall in reporting of suspected adverse drug reactions to the yellow card scheme from key reporter groups, including GPs, pharmacists, and hospital doctors. Every yellow card report counts. Uh, and a few minutes taken by you or your patient to report can make a lifetime of difference to others. Don't delay report today. So let's see what they're saying. Uh, it's estimated that only 10% of serious reactions and between 2 and 4% of non-serious reactions are reported. Underreporting coupled with a decline in reporting uh, makes it especially important to report all suspicions of adverse drug reactions to the yellow card scheme. Now, the question is, um, has the... Uh, uh, has the uh, the, the publicity over uh, adverse reactions uh, done anything to, to sort that out? I don't think it has, and in fact, quite the opposite, because uh, we've had reports from nurses and so on uh, explaining that they are being discouraged uh, from by management from reporting. Um, but maybe the situation is better in the United States, so we can get a, a better picture there. Well, in fact, not, uh, because here is an equivalent report uh, from about the, the same time. Uh, electronic Support for Public Health Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, this VAERS. Uh, adverse events from drugs and vaccines are common, but underreported. Although 25% of ambulatory patients experience an adverse drug event, less than 0.3% of all adverse drug events and 1 to 13% of serious events are reported to the FDA. Like, likewise, fewer than 1% of vaccine adverse events are reported. So um, massive underreporting. Um, we're hearing uh, from people at the coalface, as it were, that they're being discouraged from reporting. So we've got to assume that there's underreporting going on at the moment. Uh, of course, the government would say that uh, there's no evidence that these adverse reactions are directly linked to the vaccines. And that's because the government, of course, and the MHRA are not investigating. But we know that many are because um, the diagnosis is being made in hospitals that the effects that the patient presents with are being attributed to vaccine adverse effects. Now, we did a little bit of research on the internet and uh, we were pointed by many people at this Facebook page. It's saying private group with 95, nearly 96,000 members. Uh, but this is essentially a page where people are, families and individuals are coming and reporting what they have experienced personally for vaccine adverse effects, or they're talking about the adverse effects on family members. The only way I could cope with the scale of information uh, on this Facebook page is to take a little bit of video, which uh, should be able to come up on your clip on your screen now. So this is just going to be uh, about a minute and a half or thereabouts, uh, thereabouts. The total time it took me to video this Facebook page with very detailed postings of uh, parents who've died, adverse effects, serious damage to individuals, was over 13 minutes. And we couldn't take that time in the news today. So I'm gonna encourage people to go and have a look at this Facebook page, COVID-19 vaccine victims and families. And what you will see, what is scrolling up on the screen is testimony after testimony of uh, very serious adverse effects debilitating adverse effects such as these very, very unpleasant skin um, effects, which mean that people can't function properly, but many of them are reporting deaths 
and most of those deaths, there's a statement that my elderly parent or mother or grandmother was very fit and healthy until a few days after having the vaccine uh, when they started to go downhill and then they finally passed away. The reports go on and on and uh, I think we'll leave it there, but we're going to encourage people to have a look at the data themselves. Now, before we're handing on uh, in the news today, I thought we'd just summarise the British government's own statistics on these adverse effects. Now, the MHRA data is very confusing in how it's presented. So these were the figures that I got. I, I think that David Scott is going to prevent present some slightly different figures in a, in a moment. I believe that they're both correct, but uh, the government is deliberately confusing the manner in which it pre presents the statistics. So this is the sort of level we're talking about, 635 vaccine deaths, a total of 624,633 adverse vaccine reactions, including strokes, paralysis, heart attacks, debilitating skin rashes, blindness, deafness and many more serious life-changing conditions. And we're going to add under that that, of course, the BBC and the wider press and media in the UK, well, what have they had to say about the 635 deaths and the 624,633 adverse vaccine effects? What has been reported in the British press? And the answer is nothing. I'm actually going to disagree with you on that okay point, uh, because i think uh, saying that the mainstream press is simply silent on that is letting them off with quite a lot they are actively discouraged actively downplaying the effects of this so so uh, i think uh, you've been too kind i'm being uh, too kind yeah. by saying they're silent well I'll, I'll take take that hit uh, but at the end of the day uh, as i've said before with no disrespect to any country that would be reported uh, if a bus disappeared into a ravine in an overseas country, the BBC would be reporting that 10, 11, 12, 30 people had died. But the BBC says nothing over the fact that over 600 people have died by the British government's own statistics. Not the statistics of the UK column, but the government's own statistics. Uh, now, David, uh, welcome to the programme. Uh, I will begin by saying that, of course, uh, we are not live streaming on YouTube today. As we mentioned on Friday's programme, we have been uh, suspended for a week from YouTube for being very naughty boys. Um, but uh, you have now been suspended from Twitter from, for also being naughty. Yes, the, my suspension is just up. I'm just back on Twitter in the last few minutes. I got um, 12 hours of suspension. I, I did appeal it. Um, and uh, my appeal was refused because I was confirmed as a naughty boy. And why was I naughty? I was quoting these same statistics. Uh, this is the tweet. Uh, this is a slightly more up-to-date version. This is the, the version that's just come out from the government summary. 847 deaths, 626,087 injuries recorded in the UK during four months of experimental COVID vaccines. That's what I tweeted out. That's not acceptable. You can't quote government statistics on Twitter um, for reasons which I've yet to have a satisfactory explanation regarding. Now, uh, the, the, the link I gave was to a site which was called Vaccine Impact. So this is a, a, a skeptical vaccine site, but the actual article only quoted government statistics and indeed gave the government summary at the end that vaccines are beneficial and they 
uh, benefits outweigh the risks and you should all get vaccinated. So that's what that article said. I still got banned. Um, the article uh, relates to um, the MHRA summary of yellow card reporting. Now, uh, some interesting things I've picked out of this. Firstly, they have a warning. If you experience any of the following from around four days after vaccination, you should seek medical advice urgently. A severe headache that's not relieved with simple painkillers or is getting worse or feels worse when you lie down or bend over. An unusual headache that may be accompanied by blood, vision, confusion, difficulty with speech, weakness, drowsiness or seizures. A rash that looks like small bruises or bleeding under the skin beyond the injection site, shortness of breath, chest pain, leg swelling or persistent abdominal pain. These, now, is all, these are all symptoms we have had reported to us by nurses uh, contacting the UK column. Uh, they were well ahead of the MHRA, but those, those warnings are significant. People should be aware of those. It right, would David, nice let, me, let me just... media would... Let me just interrupt like you there for one second, because I don't want to go past this without making this point, because, you know, Brian said silence. This is why I, I challenged that uh, issue of silence from the, the mainstream press, because as Brian reported last week, uh, that advice, that caveat at the very beginning of the summary, uh, the Guardian and others actually, again, not only downplaying the fact that a severe headache is a problem, but actually telling people or making fun of people for going to hospital um, if they had those problems. And that, I think, is yeah, a step. Yes, mocking them. Yes. Yeah. That, that is a step well beyond uh, what's a, a acceptable. Absolutely. I mean, they were literally saying you're wasting the hospital's time cluttering up A&E. It was appalling. So let's uh, move on then. Continuing with the MHRA summary, I, I quite like this. See if you can spot the word which is new and a little bit different. The clinical trials of COVID-19 vaccines have shown them to be effective and acceptably safe. Uh -huh. I don't remember any politicians or even Mr. Whitty talking about the vaccines being acceptably safe. Well, David, the other, question, before. the other question is who has accepted them? The public haven't accepted them as being safe. So who has put the word accepted in and who is accepting them? These are excellent questions. And of course, the other thing, and I did search this document very carefully, the document talks about clinical trials in the past. The document does not alert people that the, that the stage three clinical trial is what is currently underway and that everyone taking the vaccine is engaged in a clinical trial. There is no hint of that in this document. Um, and then we get to the yellow card reporting trends. All right, so they, they talk about uh, uh, they received uh, 46,309 yellow cards and they go through the figures um, for um, uh, uh, the various forms of, um, of vaccine. Um, they, moving on to the fatal outcomes, they said they received 314 UK uh, reports of suspected adverse reactions to the Pfizer-BioTech vaccine in which the patient died shortly after vaccine, and 521 reports of the Oxford University AstraZeneca vaccine, and 12 reports where the brand of vaccine was unspecified. So that's the scale of, of sudden death we're looking at. Um, but remember, it's now 
acceptably safe. Except if you're dead. Yes, indeed. This is true. Now, uh, let's come on to this because, of course, David uh, censored for pushing that uh, information out. Uh, I uh, noticed this today from uh, the World Health Organization, Thailand. Protect yourself, uh, yourself and others from not sharing misinformation. So let's just have a look at this little video. There's lots of false information online about COVID-19. Uh, before you share, pause and check. And it's got a link to the World Health Organization website. If you believe it's false, report it. Uh, that's the key advice. Uh, protect yourself and others by reporting misinformation. And of course, many of the takedowns that are going on, on at the moment are as the result of reports. The question is, who are they the results of reports by? Are they from reports from the general public? Well, actually, no, they're not, because generally it's extremely difficult to get in contact with anybody at Facebook, Twitter or uh, uh, YouTube and so on. So there must be some kind of back channel here for a special telephone number to ring uh, if, uh, if you see something, if some people see something. But what really staggered here, not really staggered me, but what uh, came to my attention straight away, David, is who's the co-branding on this little video clip? It's the World Health Organization and the UK government. Um, and of course, it, oh. was the, it was the UK government uh, which uh, decided that the best way to deal with narratives and deal with disinformation and misinformation was to create what they called the rapid response mechanism. This was agreed at the G7 meeting. Uh, in 2018, sorry, um, Theresa May proposed it. It was all it was agreed, and every G7 uh, country signed up to the idea of a common narrative uh, running through the news media in every G7 country around the world. Um, it's not surprising, therefore, that the World Health Organization and the UK government are co-branded on this type of uh, propaganda. Well, perhaps we should be saying to our audience, we encourage you to follow the World Health Organization advice. You should report misinformation. It's clear the misinformation is coming from the British government uh, and its uh, media agents, and therefore the public ought to report them. I think that would be reasonable. Uh, well, let's have a look at how other UK column reports are, are doing. So the series No Smoke Without Fire, where we've been talking about these MHRA yellow card statistics. Uh, we're up to 49,000 views for part four, which is the latest one. And as I've said uh, on the news before, it's the comments which are particularly telling because a great deal of information from people, including further reports of serious vaccine adverse side effects. Uh, so the uh, earlier part of that series uh, on 45,000 views with 2,299 comments. But we just want to highlight that it only takes a minute for YouTube to covert censor anyone challenging the UK government's lies and propaganda. And thank you very much to the UK column viewer with eagle eyes who spotted this. So we've got a screenshot here of uh, part four, No Smoke Without Fire, part four. That was taken at 17.11 on the particular day. And if you look at the views, it's 46,118. That's in the little red square box at the lower part of the screen. And uh, if we then go to the time of 17.12 and look in the box, we see that the views has dropped to 46,108. So it appears that the YouTube viewing counter can be unviewed depending on what you have to say. I'll just highlight that bit there. And of course, as, as Mike's already mentioned, we've been censored. But what did you, YouTube 
uh, attempt to censor a lady telling the truth about her husband suffering severe vaccine adverse effects as diagnosed by the hospital to the extent that he was taken into intensive care. So those statistics, part of the government's yellow card statistics, but apparently YouTube is now censoring the UK government's own yellow card statistics. David, it's becoming a little bit confusing here. Uh, before, before we hand over to you, so I'll just pop this, this other one up here because this is part of the image that comes up on YouTube if you try and access the video top left. So this video has been removed for violating YouTube's community guidelines. But of course, uh, YouTube effectively says that you can't tell the truth, even if the truth is the government's own statistics in this case, because yes, the gentleman did have a vaccine adverse effect. Yes, the, the, the truth is now becoming unsayable. Um, the truth is becoming threatening and the truth is becoming censored. Uh, I'm waiting on the next one is, is you can't handle the truth. That's going to be the government line very shortly. And, and we'll be told that we need we need some experts to tell us what the truth is. We can't handle the statistics uh, because by setting up a system, even though it only gets maybe one in 10 of, of the adverse reactions, and that would mean we're up around eight or 9,000 deaths in four months, if that, if that one in 10 figure is correct, even though it only gets one in 10 or so, um, it is providing some hard data on the scale of the problem. Uh, and the numbers won't go away, just like uh, during the COVID crisis, the all-cause mortality numbers were normal. This was a big problem for the government narrative. Statistics are a friend because they're very difficult to fudge beyond a certain point. And uh, even when there is manipulation going on, the fingerprints of that can be identified. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on then, because the Financial Times uh, alleging that the UK's response to the AstraZeneca uh, side effects was slow and that experts are alarmed by that. Which experts? Uh, foreign experts um, and, and, and some British experts who are, who, are, who are starting to speak out. So this is encouraging. And the, the core of the story uh, was, again, um, an actual case a case history. Nine days after having her first shot of the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine, Julie began to have a headache. Though it persisted for several days, she put the pain down to a migraine. Then on March 29, her husband Peter, a retired doctor, came home and found her in a coma. Doctors at Harrogate District Hospital determined she had a catastrophic brain injury resulting from cerebrovenous sinus thrombosis uh, and a very low platelet count. A, a rare blood condition linked to the AstraZeneca jab. Two days later, Julie was dead at the age of 59. Uh, they continue, in fact, they conclude this article with a, a comment from her husband. Peter believes his wife, who was once an AstraZeneca drug rep, could have been saved through specialist treatment if the MHRA and government had been quicker to alert the public to possible side effects. And I would add to that the media. Um, Quote, there was an opportunity, a three-day window, when something could have been done, end quote, says Peter. But despite his personal tragedy, he said people should still have the AstraZeneca jab as long as they have as much information as possible about the risks and benefits. And of course, that information, as we'll cover today and in subsequent interviews, is being denied to the public. In, well, I, I'm silent because what else can I say? We, we've demonstrated already in the news today what's going on. 
I think the gentleman in that article, of course, he's suffering, he's lost his wife, but his statement is pure cognitive dissonance because how can he encourage people to have a vaccine, which he has just demonstrated by what's happened to his wife, is unsafe. We should be stopping the vaccines in order to completely re-examine the programme to decide when they will be safe. So well, I, I, I wonder what he did actually say there, because I've seen this type of narrative at the end of every one of these articles in the mainstream press. You see this type of statement yeah. and, and it's all a bit uh, everybody seems to be saying the same thing. So I wonder, is it being is it being put to them in a particular way? And they're simply answering yes. Or the press are simply lying and creating the statement to uh, enforce the government propaganda. Well, can we trust the British government and the MHRA? I'm going to thank a viewer who pointed me at this. Now, we have been reporting in the past information about the MHRA and Bill Gates, uh, but I don't remember seeing this particular header. So this has come from the MHRA's own uh, government website. MHRA awarded over £980,000 for, quote, collaboration with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Health Organization. Well, you've just shown the World Health Organization, Mike. So clearly, MHRA is independent independently in bed with Bill Gates. And let's just have a little look at this uh, video clip uh, to see what uh, what the MHRA had to say about this nice little earner. Hello, I'm Ian Hudson, the CEO of the MHRA. We're delighted to be working with the WHO and the Gates Foundation on this very important initiative, which will see the launch of some new medicines to treat some serious public health threats. The launch of these new medicines requires robust regulatory systems and processes to be in place, and we're delighted to be able to help with the development and deployment of these new systems. Thank you. Now, interestingly enough, what he was actually talking about, aside from the collaboration, and he didn't, of course, mention the brown envelope coming through from Bill and Melinda Gates, was the fact that they were setting up the monitoring of adverse effects. So this was back in 2017. And I think that any member of the public with a reasonable uh, air of suspicion would be saying, well, was this the start of the slush funds to set up some form of enhanced yellow card reporting with the Gates Foundation. So you can have meetings with Boris Johnson to decide how to get your vaccines sold onto the British public in the UK. And then you do a little backdoor deal with the MHRA to make sure that all the adverse effect reporting is in accordance with your wishes, presumably. Well, and, and the and the approvals, of course. And the approvals, well. yes, yeah, indeed. Um, well, okay. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we were warning that there are more variants coming, and uh, well, there seem to be. And just as a quick reminder, uh, let's just remind ourselves uh, what the government's saying: uh, that the UK now has eight variants on its watch list, four variants of concern, trademark, and four variants under investigation, trademark. Uh, well, the new variant is coming from India. Uh, and apparently that is uh, of great concern because it can evade the vaccines. Uh, but we don't have to worry because Susan uh, Hopkins, who's uh, Public Health England, says that cases have been found in the UK were not linked to travel. Uh, their origin is being investigated. This is very similar to right back at the very beginning of this in January and February of 2020 when there were cases popping up uh, at random in, the, in England in particular, uh, which were not linked to travel 
and they didn't really understand how these particular cases had arisen at that time. Um, so we seem to be getting the same uh, the same sort of narrative taking place. Uh, I think it's around 77 cases have been identified in England and also in Scotland. Um, and she said that uh, uh, it's too early to say whether India should be put on the red list of countries uh, that people may or may not be allowed to visit come the summer if we actually do get to do uh, get to have any international travel. So what's interesting to me, uh, David, is that you know the, the three main variants of concern uh, from the UK, from Brazil, and from South Africa um, could be said to be linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine because that's where the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, happened to be running its trials and they were the first variants to appear. Uh, correlation does not mean causation, but we uh, certainly need to ask the question. Um, but the India uh, variant is interesting because, of course, India has a large AstraZeneca uh, manufacturing plant there. Uh, they have rebranded it, not as AstraZeneca. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Uh, and in fact, uh, there's a good chance that uh, the, in, India is not going to be sending the UK uh, some of their uh, manufactured AstraZeneca vaccine because they need it for themselves. But it, it just does seem coincidental to me that uh, variants uh, seem to be places coming from places that AstraZeneca is first. Yes, and they seem to follow the vaccine. Uh, around the planet, which does seem it does seem interesting. Yes, right. Where does that take us? Lockdown skeptics. Uh, the United States say they're running out of people willing to take the COVID vaccine. Now, this is interesting because uh, in the EU, David, uh, there have been large vaccination centres set up. The one in uh, in Brussels in Belgium, capable of vaccinating five thousand a day, is the one that comes to mind. Even the BBC has had to report that that. Uh, has been largely empty uh, since it was set up. Uh, maybe two or three hundred are coming in per day rather than the five thousand that we're expecting. Uh, this isn't going very well. No, and uh, we seem to be reaching some sort of limit. It's partly due to your worldview. It's partly due to your political view. If you believe the state is inherently good and that we must obey, uh, you you're probably vaccinated already. If you're a little bit more cautious, perhaps you're starting to do your own research. Um, and uh, as COVID, uh, sorry, lockdown skeptics was reporting here in the States, we're getting to a point where they're rather running out of people who are prepared to take the vaccine. The Daily Mail also uh, reported on this. Uh, the headline was, America hits the vaccine wall. Thousands of appointments go unfilled. The states across the nation warn that hesitancy to get the shots threatens to derail the rollout. Um, they continue on. Uh, on Friday, Pennsylvania Gov Governor Tom Wolfe issued a desperate plea for residents to get vaccinated as clinics in the state reported hundreds, if not thousands, of available appointments that were not being filled each day. Quote, the appointment availability does give us cause for concern because it's indicative of hesitancy. Um, not a decision, hesitancy, uh, which really is a challenge to come, said Alison Beam, the state's acting health secretary, who joined Wolf at the news conference. She said the fact that nearly half of Pennsylvania's nursing home workers have declined the vaccine is further evidence of, quote, how far we have to go and how much of a challenge overcoming this vaccine hesitancy will be in the near future. That's an interesting start. Uh, it is indeed. Right, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, 
fat masks. And of course, uh, lots of people still continue to push back against schools in particular, who are still requiring children to be masked up, despite the fact that the initial promise from the government was that would not be happening uh, following the Easter holiday, the Easter break. Um, so I'm going to say thank you very much to the person who passed this through to me because I hadn't seen it. It's from the Colgate website, Colgate, of course, manufacturer of toothpaste. Uh, and uh, they are asking, what is mask mouth? Uh, and they say that mask mouth describes the variety of oral side effects from wearing a mask for an extended time. Mask mouth might include dry mouth, bad breath, tooth decay, and even gum disease. Uh, dental professionals attribute these side effects to a few factors. Uh, disrupted breathing patterns is one, dehydration is another, and recycling air. So when you wear a mask, you trap more carbon dioxide in your mouth than usual. According to aerosol air quality research, this amount of carbon dioxide does not have a toxicological effect in your body. However, it can increase uh, or oral bio, micro, uh, microbiome sorry, acidity, which might put at risk, you at risk for infections or inflammations and so on. But the key thing is here, if, if people are, if masks are causing issues with people's mouths and their teeth uh, at the time when in fact people can't get access to dentists, uh, this seems like a, a pretty rotten combination going on here. So we've got headline after headline in the mainstream press, patients struggling to see dentists in Sheffield, same in Leeds, same in a uh, whole host of other places. Man removed tooth with pliers after dentist struggle. Uh, this is from olden times uh, and so on. So uh, people have got to continue pushing back on this. And I'll add to that, Mike, that uh, over the last few days, we've had a lot of uh, NHS nurses and other NHS professionals contacting the UK column to speak out about what's happening. And one of the subjects that's coming up is the uh, adverse effects from wearing masks. So this is absolutely known, people getting rashes, people becoming um, feeling very unwell, faint, panicky as a result of wearing masks. And don't forget the nurses in many um, instances are having to wear a full face mask, not for an eight hour shift, but some of them for a 14 hour shift. And this is causing tremendous problems. So these qualified, I'll say nurses coming forward, talking about adverse effects. And yesterday I was able to speak to a lady who's had to go as far as taking a, um, a tribunal case against the NHS, because when she reported these sorts of effects from wearing a mask, uh, she was bullied and hounded out of the NHS and dismissed. So we will be bringing that as one of our specialist UK column reports. But to reinforce what you're saying, Mike, NHS professionals are absolutely talking about these dangers of the masks. The, MA, the, N, the NHS itself has not carried out any overall risk assessment into mask wearing. We know that the British government has not carried out any risk assessment, neither has the MHRA. So uh, this is, I think you have to describe it as another health cover-up, but yes. it's deliberate. David. And the risk assessment issue is vital. Either there's no risk assessment, in which case it's completely incompetent, the whole policy is incompetent and indeed reckless, and must be rolled back, or there is a risk assessment. We haven't found many. And if there is a risk assessment and it's affecting you or your loved ones, get a copy because it has to weigh up the risks and the benefits. It has to look at the problems of mask wearing and it has to look at the benefits of mask wearing. And we know from studies, for example, the one in Denmark, the benefits are, shall we say, tenuous at best, quite possibly zero. So we have to look at this. 
the risk assessment that was been, that's been done to mask all of our children in secondary schools. I would love to see the details of one of those. Uh, I would be very surprised if that was based on sound reasoning and sound evidence and a sound uh, statistical analysis. Uh, David, I just, just can reinforce that one that I've also spoken to a mother over the last few days who's done a lot of work to challenge her local, two local schools that her children go to over mask wearing. And the same story comes back. She's been stalled, blocked. Uh, but when she's asked for the risk assessment, the schools are simply saying, oh, well, we don't have to because the government is telling us to do this. So we're seeing a lot of officials simply ignore health and safety because apparently the government is giving them a set of guidelines to follow. Mm. Common sense disappeared out the window. People no longer thinking for themselves or thinking for the safety of others. Um, okay, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and uh, we'd be very pleased to see you join us there. Uh, and also, please do share any material that you find on uh, the various platforms. You won't find us on YouTube for the next few days, uh, but uh, we're certainly on BitChute and Odyssey, uh, on Facebook and on Twitter at this point in time, at least. Uh, and David, uh, got a couple of uh, new interviews out. Yes, this is uh, the post-match analysis. Um, uh, Stephen Pollard here pictured and Alex and Brian joined me to discuss my interaction with the police at Holyrood um, as I was uh, prevented from giving a speech uh, in uh, the, the nice grassy, grassy area in front of the parliament. Um, and we look at uh, what I did well, what I did badly, what the police did, what the police position was and what uh, uh, what people should do if they're faced uh, with similar problems with uh, police overreach. So we hope uh, you'll you'll have a look at that uh, article and the analysis and all of the areas that it gets into to do with what is the law, what are our rights and uh, what are uh, the errors in the police training that are being uh, seen on the streets. Um, and also uh, you've got Richard Lucas from the Scottish Family Party. Yes, this is this premieres tonight, uh, eight o'clock. So uh, please join us live and join in the the chat, the online chat regarding this. Uh, this is the introduction to the Scottish Family Party. This is the, the first of a series. We'll be looking at the Scottish Family Party, Scottish Libertarian Party, Reform UK, and uh, the Freedom Alliance, all in the next few days. Um, so hope uh, I hope you'll join us for the full series looking at these new political voices, responding to the fact that there is no diversity of thought in the political realm, there is no opposition, and uh, many people are feeling utterly unrepresented. Okay, well, thank you for that, David. And uh, thank you to uh, the viewer that sent in this uh, email. Hello, UK Column News. I was listening to the lady whose husband lost the use of his legs and is now in hospital. That's the censored, the YouTube censored video. My husband came home from work and said his friend called him and was in hospital uh, when he explained what had happened. And it is identical to the lady's husband. We tried hard to tell him, our friend, not to have the jab, but he went ahead anyway. He had the jab two weeks ago. He has lost all feeling in his legs and cannot walk now. He's had a lumbar puncture and a brain scan. They asked him if he'd had the jab, but have said, it uh, have not said it is from the jab, the effects are from the jab. 
I've sent him the radio program of the lady and I do hope he recovers. He's 63 years old and a truck driver, so this will impact on his livelihood. Thank you for all your hard work. I've been listening to you all for over a year now and hopefully our friend will start listening too. This is no, uh, this is too much of a coincidence for me. Um, there are many of these sorts of comments and uh, personal reports in the comments to the UK, the, uh, UK column uh, videos about vaccine adverse effects. Um, right, this one here, we've got uh, the star reporting on the fact that uh, NHS staff are forming anti-vax groups. Now, I think this is part of a coordinated media campaign to attack nurses and NHS professionals who are speaking out. They are not uh, principally speaking and saying they're anti-vaccine. What they are saying is that they are observing um, the large numbers of people now being uh, entered into the NHS with adverse vaccine effects. And they are warning that this is not being discussed publicly. And they are saying that in order for people to make an informed choice about having a vaccine, they need to know not only what the supposed benefits are, but what the real adverse effect risks are. So I think this is a particularly dirty job by the star here. And of course, it talks in terms of hundreds of nurses when the reality is many thousands. I'd just like to bring in Matt Hancock because he's quoted in the, in the article. He says, we want users. Now, the word users is not uh, qualified, but he's either talking about the NHS or possibly users of the vaccine much as you might be a user of a drug. We want users to have greater access to reliability and scientifically accurate information on vaccines from trusted sources like the NHS so that they can make informed decisions to protect themselves and their loved ones. Well, this is a very disingenuous statement by Matt Hancock because, of course, it's his government which is preventing the British public from knowing the true statistics about the adverse effects. So, David, I always ask the question, is this man just a, an idiot? He's a bit thick. He's a bit slow. He doesn't know what the truth is. Or does he get dressed in the morning knowing that he's going to stand up in the house and lie to the British public? Well, for him to say that and not be corrupt, he would need to be, he would need to be in a position where he's just not, not aware of the facts. Uh, the... The patient information leaflets which outline the risks are not being handed out to the patients. There is no informed consent. The, a great many of the doctors and nurses who are meant to be advising the patients on the risks and benefits don't even know what's in the vaccine, if they can call it a vaccine. Uh, people aren't being told this is a stage three trial. Uh, under trial protocols, there should be a research nurse assigned to each patient. Now, there isn't, but the, the uh, medical staff who is administering the jabs should be acting in that role and seeing that any adverse reactions are carefully logged, are carefully recorded and are reported. That's not happening either. Now, does Matt Hancock not know that? Or is he simply not telling us? Uh, well, I, either way, he shouldn't be in his job because either he's a liar or he's incompetent. Um, so it can't be, there's, there's no other way to put it. Well, it could possibly be both. That's true too. Okay, well, this is a report from the Times. Of course, the Times sort of slides the knife in more subtly. So 
The Times doesn't want to deal with nurses, so it has a picture of a, a very presentable young lady GP. She's, uh, uh, she's not for the vaccines, uh, but here's the headline, coronavirus, NHS staff join anti-vax group. So here's the Times branding these people, not people who are professional and they are considering the risks, but simply they are anti-vaxxers. And of course, the next thing they label them is that they are stupid, ill-informed anti-vaxxers. Uh, but from the article, um, the Times doesn't do any investigation into the side effects, but this is one of the paragraphs. It says it's it's not an anti-vaccine group and exists to support healthcare workers, but the Times found posts saying that the Pfizer BioNTech coronavirus vaccine was a new frozen virus similar to smallpox to be a smallpox to be unleashed on the world. They compared it to a poison. Well, for the people that are paralyzed in hospital, you could compare things to a poison, couldn't you, Mike? Is that unreasonable? But the Times, of course, doesn't want to investigate the proper details. Uh, it goes on to say hundreds of NHS and care home staff have formed a group opposed to vaccines, wearing masks and testing in hospitals. Well, we're just showing why they have these concerns. And then it says that the group NHS Workers for Choice, no restrictions for declining a vaccine, has gained more than 250 Facebook members in a month. They include a GP, several accident emergency nurses, healthcare assistance lab workers, private and public care home staff. But the style of the article is this is only a few hundred people. And uh, therefore, I'll say it's my opinion, the Times is trying to play down the fact that we've got thousands of NHS professionals coming forward with concerns over the uh, vaccine. And uh, I'll pop this one up because somebody was kind enough to um, send it through. It's it's a report from back in February, but it's our very own Jonathan Van Tam, uh, who went out for a curry on the same day that Boris Johnson told Londoners to avoid restaurants due to the COVID risk. So he had his um, vindaloo or whatever it was he, he, he enjoyed. It cost him £21.77 and that, that meal, of course, went on the taxpayer. So presumably he went out to a restaurant because he knew that the risk that Boris Johnson was trying to sell to the British public was completely untrue and he could go and enjoy a meal unworried about catching coronavirus. Mm. Um, this is uh, doing the rounds on Twitter today. Uh, uh, Keir Starmer was, uh, was trending on Twitter and uh, this is the reason for it. Um, so this is uh, Peter Stefanovic, uh, who is a lawyer, he's a campaigner. He's been working in recent years with the Communication Workers Union. Uh, and he said, tw uh, tweeted this out, wow, we did it, 10 million views. By working together, we've sent a message to UK media uh, that if they won't hold this prime minister to account for all his lies, uh, we will damn well do it ourselves. Um, when will BBC News catch up? Uh, so what's this about? Well, it's linked to um, accusations that Boris Johnson is lying, and it's linked to an, a, a letter uh, which has been sent to the, uh, the, to the Speaker of the House of Commons by Caroline Lucas, who's the leader of the Green Party in the House of Commons, uh, basically saying that Boris Johnson is a liar. So let's just have a quick look at what uh, the letter says. Uh, we write as leaders of our parties to the, in the House of Commons to express our deep concern at, that the standing and reputation of the House is being endangered by the lack of truthfulness in statements by the Prime Minister. Frankly, I think that uh, this, the lies that Boris Johnson tells in the House of Commons are the least of the House of Commons worries. But anyway, OK, that's the position they want to take. 
Uh, it goes on to say, this is not a question of occasional inaccuracies or misleading use of figures. It is consistent failure to be honest with the facts uh, or to correct wrong information at the earliest opportunity when misleading information is given. Um, and uh, it goes on to say that uh, organisations like Full Fact and the BBC's reality check do their best to fact check statements by ministers, including the Prime Minister. And at that point, if I had any uh, reason to be uh, positive about this uh, intervention by Caroline Lucas and the others, it went straight out the window. Uh, but anyway, she goes on to say, uh, but it's the job of MPs to hold the government to account and our ability to do this effectively is undermined if we're consistently given false information. Um, so that's her position. The, the letter that she wrote was uh, countersigned by Ian Blackford of the SNP, Ed Davey of the Liberal Democrats, Liz Savile-Roberts from Plaid Cymru, uh, Colm Eastwood from the SDLP and Stephen Farry from the Alliance Party of Northern Ireland. Uh, and uh, as we mentioned, Keir Starmer was trending on Twitter because he refused to sign it. Uh, the Labour Party apparently said that uh, the Labour would not normally sign up to initiatives like this, which are launched by other parties. Um, and uh, so anyway, it goes on to cite six examples of Boris Johnson giving misleading information MP to MPs, saying that the economy had grown by 73% under the Conservatives, saying that CO2 emissions had been cut by 42% since 2010, saying that nurses' bursaries had been restored, uh, falsely saying that the number of families uh, living in poverty had been cut by 400,000 since 2010, uh, falsely saying that Bridge End was going to be a battery manufacturing centre and saying that COVID-related contracts had been published when they had not. So this was their position that Boris is consistently lying in the House of uh, Commons. But of course, nowhere at no point do they go near uh, the whole coronavirus COVID-19 narrative. They don't go near the vaccine narrative. They don't go near the testing narrative, they don't challenge PCR tests, uh, and they don't challenge track and trace. So um, this is uh, Boris lying when it suits Caroline Lucas. The right kind of lies are important here, David, uh, because the wrong kind of lies don't get criticised. Yes, uh, this is uh, a, a warning shot against, across his bows from the wokest of the woke parties in, in the in the. Uh, the House of Commons to remind him that uh, only only appropriate lies are allowed. And as for um, the standing and reputation of the House, yeah, that 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 horse has left the barn some time ago. Yes. Okay. Well, look. Let's move on to economic issues. And uh, well, of course, many people have been talking about the rise in the money supply, including us. Uh, the absolutely exponential, in fact, more than exponential rise in in supply of money. Uh, but of course, inflation hasn't really sort of kicked off yet. And the question is why? Well, of course, the reason for that is because uh, the velocity of money is basically zero. Uh, and uh, so nobody is spending anything. And so there's no uh, pressure. But one area where uh, there is still inflation, surprisingly, is house prices. Um, and uh, But the government not entirely happy that house prices have enough inflation, yet they need more. Uh, and so they have launched... Uh, uh, government-backed mortgages uh, where you only require a 5% deposit uh, and uh, they're very excited about this. So home buyers will, with deposits as low as 5% are now, now going to be av available for people. They're government-backed. It's a bit like the uh, right-to-buy scheme. Um, uh, Rightmove uh, was quoted widely in the press today uh, as making the point that, uh, well, one of the reasons for the current house price inflation has been the suspension of stamp duty. Uh, uh, but this uh, helped to buy type scheme is now going to uh, 
just increase uh, house price inflation even further. Uh, David, they're really determined to try to keep this bubble expanding. They are. Um, and we learned nothing. We had the biggest crisis, economic crisis, uh, since the Great Depression. And uh, what does the prudent, cautious, reliable Conservative Party do? Uh, it tries to reinflate the bubble one more time uh, with something quite close to a, a ninja loan, you know, no income, no job, no assets. But you can have a loan. Um, we got to the point in the United States in 2006 that you didn't get a mortgage because you could afford the house. You got a mortgage because you couldn't afford not to because you know the, the house was going to earn more than than you would. The inflation was going to was going to be just to such a benefit to you. Uh, this is obviously nonsense. It cannot be sustained, and it won't be sustained. And the idea that when everyone's losing their job and we're all locked down, that the thing we need is uh, more expensive housing is a very interesting way of how to manage an economy. Uh, isn't it now, uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, off the top of your head, take an estimate what the threshold is under which you can get one of these loans. What, in terms of salary? No, in terms of the price of the house. In terms of the price of the house? Yes. Oh, oh. I, I wouldn't know. Um, okay, well, I'll put you out of your misery. It's, no, no, £600,000. £600,000. Uh, these will be available up to £600,000. So I'm not certain we, who in this present economy is capable of holding on to or managing a £600,000 mortgage. But that's what these are going to be. That's going to be the limit on this. But it gets better. Don't worry. We've got more uh, because this <laughs> is looking at David's face <laughs> there. I think we've caught you on that one, David. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is we'll talk more about that on, on Extra. But anyway, uh, this is FinTech Week uh, coming up. And uh, well, Rishi Sunak was speaking today all at, at FinTech Week. He was very excited about it. Uh, let's have a look at what he had to say. Our vision is for a more open, greener and more technologically advanced financial services sector. Uh, he went on to say the UK is already known for uh, being at the forefront of innovation, but we need to go further. Uh, and so what might they be talking about? Well, they are talking about central bank digital currencies. They are setting up a new task force, David, a new task force. It's more fusion doctrine. It's going to bring together the Treasury and the Bank of England. Uh, they're going to establish and explore a possible UK central bank digital currency because whenever lots of people have had access to their 5%, uh, deposit mortgage at £600,000 each, uh, this is going to cause the pound to go to hell. And uh, we're going to need a currency to replace it, I think. Well, it's, it's, good, to, it's good to know that we're, we're getting the next um, currency based on uh, Nothing. digital zeros and digital ones um, worth the, the, the value of the paper it's not printed on uh, to replace the pound, which is now... Um, one third of one percent of what it used to be before the Bank of England's wise stewardship took it, uh, took it to its current level. Um, right. Well, uh, just just before we leave this, to support private sector innovation. Okay. Try not to laugh too much. To, to, <laughs> well, <laughs> to support private sector innovation, uh, firms expl they're exploring how to use technologies like distributed ledger technologies. So we're talking about blockchain now. So. The central banks, the treasury, they have uh, jumped on this bandwagon in a big way uh, and blockchain is going to support uh, 
is going to support private sector innovation. That's great. But let's move on because obviously this is the year of the uh, COP26, which is supposedly going to take place uh, in uh, in Glasgow uh, in October, I think it is. Uh, and uh, this is the Foreign Affairs Committee pushing this out today. The UK presidency of the COP26 must ensure its objectives are brought into all foreign policy activity, including trade deals, decisions on overseas aid, and bilateral and multilateral conversations. So they've published the Foreign Affairs Committee. This has published a report. Here it is, a climate for ambition, diplomatic preparations for COP26. Uh, and uh, well, Tom Tugendhat is the uh, chair of the Foreign uh, Affairs Select Committee. He said, the lessons of the pandemic offer a way uh, of turning oh. away from air miles and onto airwaves, especially when we're discussing the climate emergency. Um, so they're saying that the commitment cannot be distinct, this commitment to, to the COP26 cannot be distinct from uh, British foreign policy, but the, as the integrated review makes clear, is integral to the success for our global engagement. And they also recommend that the Foreign and Commonwealth Development Office publishes an environment, environmental diplomacy strategy defining the, the, the department's foreign policy aims for the UK's COP26 presidency and beyond, and that it establishes a unit that can support future presidencies. Um, so this is fantastic stuff. We are 100% bought into the uh, Green New Deal and the Great Reset, um, and it's going to be running through our entire uh, foreign policy agenda. How could what could possibly go wrong? And just like in the case of COVID, um, the BBC and the mainstream media, but especially the BBC, allow no other narrative. Uh, they give no airtime to people who have uh, views that suggest that none of this is real, that there is no climate emergency, that the um, alleged solutions are far worse than the problem, and there is in fact uh, a political grab for power, uh, control and to limit our freedom, and not in fact a legitimate uh, response to a real problem. Um, okay, well, David, uh, what is going on in Scotland with respect to economic issues? Uh, Karen Jenkins here tweeting out, I asked Nicola Sturgeon whether she was, has conducted an analysis of the economic consequences of independence. Uh, I would imagine All not. glorious, right? Now, uh, <laughs> there used to be Channel 4 news, used to be good. I remember a long, long time ago, it was a great news show. It was the best news show on television. Obviously, these days are gone. But there's just the odd little spark of it still remains. And, and this, this, this journalist here asked Nicola Sturgeon a few questions about economics and showed that she had not the faintest idea. Um, he asked her, he referred to a study which was to do with transaction costs. So if you put up a border and you have custom posts and everything else, you put in transaction costs and this has a negative effect on the economy. This is called reality. Um, Nicola didn't like this at all. She waffled on about... I haven't got the report in front of me. You're referring to a report that I, I can't refer to. I would need to look into the detail. This is standard. This is the whole Sturgeon approach. When asked any question about a principle, she says, I don't understand principles. I just want to look at the details. Um, and, and it went from bad to worse. As it became very obvious um, that, uh, well, the next slide covers it. <clears throat> the First Minister former First Minister, basically said, I have no case, no economic case for independence. She basically admitted that what, uh, what had been put forward in 2014, was actually a lot of, um, quite a lot of deception in that as well, was completely out of date 
and no work had been done in the interim to um, make any sort of economic case for independence. So it doesn't exist. So we're just going to um, hope for the best, I think. Yeah, yes, indeed. But it is a very striking photograph. <laughs> it is, it is. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, she looks better than black and white. I think it, it, it sets the right tone for the, the current state of, state of affairs in Scotland. Yeah, yes. David, you, you mentioned just a few minutes back, you know, what was happening in the country under the sort of smokescreen of all this talk about um, regeneration, the green agenda, the reset. And I'm going to say a big thank you to one of our viewers who sent me some information on Saturday. Uh, which we were able to work up into a little clip. Uh, this is to show you what life is like in, in the United Kingdom in 2021. And what's prompted this, the funeral of the Duke of Edinburgh in Windsor on Saturday. Just have a look at this footage. Right, the actual, there's 400 close security people there from a company out of Portsmouth called Cassapian Security. Right, okay. And and these are people walking around with uh, earphones in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them. Um, some of them are ex-army. It appears to me they're the ones that are sort of like managing the rest of the people. Right. And it's a company out of Portsmouth. They're close security. That's what they, if you look on their website, I asked the guy and he told me there was 400 there today. And how many police can you, do you reckon? I've never seen anything like it, mate. Don't forget, none of these people were here at the Royal Wedding, right? And as you said, it's supposed to be a non-event, right? And and you're you're seeing a lot of armed police. I could walk around, right? And you would know Windsor, right? But it's not a very big place, mate, right? So even half a mile away outside the town centre, there's police vans and armed armed police half a mile away, right? Now. I went into the old station, Windsor Station, right? Fairly quiet in there because a lot of the shops aren't open. I, I went, not a word of a lie, mate. There was two police, uh, policemen in there with machine guns for the earpieces. When I went past one of them, I, I got very, very good hearing, right? I was probably about seven or eight feet away. I heard a click of a camera against me. Now, it might be because I look a bit dodgy, right? Got bald head. And they were taking, he was taking a picture of me. I don't know what he, how he did it, because his arms weren't moving. But whether he, he got a little camera, they've got, I know they've got body cameras, right? They all have. But whether that was being relayed, because there's a couple of vans in certain places, and it was just going through number uh, facial recognition or whatever. But you could, I, I used to, into photography, you could hear like little clicks about three or four of them. You know, whether they're just picking people at random to photograph, and then like it might go somewhere, keep an eye on this bloke, blah blah blah. But all these security people seem to be staring at you, right? As if like you're the shit off their shoes, mate. So I'll say to our audience that all the clips there were real clips taken from Windsor, the, the photographs of the police uh, tooled up uh, and in their, their black uniforms and black face masks, hundreds of private security people on the streets 
So this, this is a, a picture, a view of UK, unrecognizable to me, and I'm sure many other people of, of a certain age. Uh, David, you want to know what's being put into place while we're distracted with nonsense uh, about green agendas and resets? It's a full-blown dictatorship. And the full report that I got, I could not, I could not put all of it across in the news today and some of the information I had to be a bit discreet about. Um, but uh, clearly, uh, we've got a, a dictatorship which is now rapidly installing itself. That's astonishing. Astonishing images, astonishing decision that, that for a funeral that they, they couldn't even have someone sitting next to the Queen who just lost her husband. Well, David, we're going, to, we're, going to put up, we're going to put up the full, uh, the full piece. We'll go up on the UK column uh, website, which encourage people to listen to because the images you will have already seen, but the uh, total clip is about 16 minutes long. And uh, what the gentleman is talking about, of course, is the massive number of police and private security coupled with the press at hotel taken over in order that the press could be there. Meanwhile, the public was told to stay away because it was too dangerous. COVID, the little coronavirus, would have been manoeuvring around those policemen and infecting the public. So the public warned off and the whole of Windsor handed over to private security, armed police and the media. Uh, this this public, could be straight the out public, of a Walt the, Disney film, I think. Yeah, the public warned off. The family warned off. The the you you could not have um, members of the military. You could not have members of the navy in which uh, Prince Philip served at the funeral because COVID. But you could have the same people once demobilised and hired by a private security firm, given machine guns and sent into the bushes roundabout. That's a that's a a very distinct metaphor for where we're going. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, um, let's move on to international uh, affairs now. And uh, of course, Ukraine becoming getting hotter by the minute. Uh, but don't worry, uh, because the Putin panic means that we are now sending the uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth. And well, what else? Well, it's had a bit of a leak, hasn't it, Mike? I think we've had another uh, another bit of a leak, David. You and I were discussing this. So uh, they can't seem to get the high pressure salt water main to stay together. So well, it's it's on its way to the Black Sea now. Oh, so dear. so uh, we'll see whether it gets there. But it's got sinking. some powerful helicopters there. I'm yeah. Sure well, apparently it's help. going with some F thirty fives. Some of the mainstream press even alleging that they were RAF F thirty fives. I don't believe a word of it. I think they're American. Uh, but anyway, um, Merlins, as you can see on on screen at the moment. Uh, so they're heading off uh, with a, a, a Type 45, one Type 45 destroyer is going as well. Uh, and it's armed with anti-aircraft missiles, missiles, Brian, um, it's really exciting. And an anti-submarine Type 23 frigate will also go. So this is what makes up the uh, UK, the Royal Navy's uh, carrier group. At battle the group, I yes. think they described it as a battle group. Yes, yeah. and uh, so they're heading off to the Black Sea. And we better add here, Morgan, for the audience, no, absolutely no disre disrespect to serving military. Our line is that, of course, the serving military men and women utterly betrayed uh, by the policies that have reduced the armed forces to this pitiful state. I just wanted to say that because I think it's important to recognise uh, still people serving who believe they're doing a good job in the same way that we've got 
nurses or doctors believing they're doing a good job in a corrupted NHS. So why are they going to the Black Sea? Well, of course, they're being sent to the Black Sea because uh, Vladimir Putin is going to get very, very scared of their presence there. And he's being a very naughty boy and putting all kinds of uh, Russian military up against the Ukrainian border, apparently. Um, Well, uh, there has been an offer uh, or suggestion from Putin uh, that uh, he and Biden should meet to discuss this and try to get the issue sorted out. And Sebastian Kurtz here, who's the uh, Chancellor of Austria, well, he's very excited about that prospect and he's volunteered Austria as being the place that it should take place. Uh, for the entire world, for the whole of Europe, it would be good if such a summit does take place and he's really going to be excited if it happens in Austria. Uh, well, Mr. Zelensky, of course, who's the president of Ukraine, he's pretty excited about the prospect as well, but only if he can come. Uh, he needs to be there uh, because if uh, Ukraine is being discussed at that, then really he needs to be part of that summit. Uh, the Europeans then, here's uh, Josef Borrell, Uh, He is the equivalent of the foreign minister of the EU, uh, the high representative, as they call themselves, uh, because foreign minister isn't uh, high enough. Um, And uh, he's very concerned and very considers this Russian military build up around Ukraine very dangerous if it's happening. Uh, Emmanuel Macron went on to say that the international community has to define some clear red lines with Russia. uh, And uh, and that's, uh, you know, we've got to keep this pressure on, get them away from Ukraine because Ukraine is a very important country. Uh, we've got to support it and uh, and so on. Sorry, Macron is a snappy dresser, isn't he? Isn't I look he? at yes. I looked at the cut of that mar- mask, nappy, and that's yes, a right. sort of Italian suit face dressing that he's got on there. It's cut extremely well. Yes. it's it's very white. I think it suits him. Yes. Well, anyway, but of course, uh, in order to um, ramp up this rhetoric against Russia and Putin, uh, we've got to make sure that there's uh, plenty of propaganda going on, and of course, the BBC is at the forefront. Uh, and they've run a fact check. Uh, this is real, BBC radio, reality check and BBC monitoring, looking at uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, fact-checking Russian TV's Ukraine claims. Um, and so they are really making fun of Russian media um, because apparently it, the media clip that was shown on one of the Russian news channels was not an American plane landing in Ukraine, but it was an American plane landing in Alaska. And of course, this is typical of fact-checking, isn't it? Because Instead of dealing with the actual issue at hand, are the Americans sending aircraft to Ukraine or not? They they pick the bones out of uh, the detail of some video footage that was shown on Russian media, which probably came from a file that they happened to, you know, file video that they had on uh, available to them. They didn't have uh, the actual video available to them. Uh, UK column does it. Everybody does this. Even the BBC does this, as we'll come on to in one second. The other thing that they uh, said was that this particular tank rolling out of an aircraft uh, was old footage showing an American tank in Bulgaria, not in Kiev. So, you know, they're, they're trying to make fun of the Russian media here for being inaccurate. Uh, and I just thought the hypocrisy was spectacular because the BBC has been caught out so many times, this just being one of them, uh, where they have used file footage to try to present something as being something when it wasn't. So this was a, a, a protest taking place in India, and the BBC claimed that it was a protest taking place in Green Square in Tripoli uh, a few years ago. The BBC has done this time and time again, and for them to criticise any Russian media for doing something, uh, well, in fact, the Russian media weren't doing something similar because this was being deliberately misleading in the case of the BBC, whereas the Russians were simply yeah, but, using file footage. Um, because the BBC just made a mistake, Mike. That's where you got it wrong. The BBC simply made a mistake. They get £5 billion, but they made a few mistakes. But the Russians 
deliberate. Deliberate. Uh, right, David, we may be running out of time here, but let's just uh, have a look at this one. Uh, culture wars again. Sorry. The very excellent John Waters. Um, writing um, about uh, whether or not the current generation has a future. And this is based around um, a, a video by Professor Sam uh, Vaknin, sorry, Vaknin, who is an Israeli um, psychologist and um, academic who specializes in the study of psycho psychopathy and narcissism. And on these subjects, he is excellent. He's one of the strongest and most um, enlightening voices on these problems that you will find. Um, and uh, we've got a little video clip that illustrates what he had to say. So I treated or work with clients under the age of 35, and I began to obtain a bit of a panoramic view of what's happening to young people today. And I must sh say that I'm shaken to my foundations. There are two possibilities. Either everything we think we know in psychology is wrong, or there's a new subspecies of humanity, Homo sapiens 2.0, that has nothing to do, psychologically speaking, with all previous generations going back to the time of Abraham. The people I talk to, they have no emotions. They think they have emotions. They do emotions. They simulate emotions. They have no emotions. The rate of relationship failure in this group under age 35, the rate of relationships failure is mind-boggling. First of all, they have an average of nine relationships before they reach 30. And what they call relationships is also <laughs> in great doubt and question. But even these ersatz, fake, imitation relationships don't work. All of them fail with no exception. The rate of marriage, which is a proxy for relationships, you don't have to get married to have a relationship, of course, but it's a good it's a good proxy. It's a good uh, kind of standard, good test. The rate of marriage has collapsed precipitously. Precipitously. A huge portion of these people live as singles most of their lives, actually. There's a hookup culture that is only on paper. They don't even hookup anymore. So th this, uh, this analysis is then explored in uh, John Waters' uh, article at some length, and he, he looks at some of the, the causes, uh, the, 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 the third wave feminism and the attack on, on the masculine, um, uh, the, 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 the destruction of the family, the, the failure of, of marriage as, a, as the glue that holds society together, the effect of, of the childcare generation, the fact that children are now raised very often by by, by, by people paid and who don't have the, the emotional connection as families are, are, are uh, uh, broken apart, mothers are forced to go out to work economically, so they're no longer there looking after the children as a primary uh, role. 
the, the role of, of um, grandparents as well is, is being reduced. And he also goes into the, the effect of, the, of a society based on desire and the satisfaction of desire as, as essentially the, the whole picture of um, the aim in life. And uh, he analyzes this and, and comes down to who's to blame, what well, our generation is to blame. Um, we gave into this, we need to push back, we need to do something, we need to speak out. It's a very thoughtful piece and I would encourage people, it's a, it's a long piece, but it's, it's, it's well worth the time invested. I would encourage people to look at that by John Waters. Thanks very much. Poignant piece of, uh, of reporting. Yes, okay, so uh, let's end uh, with this. David from Sam Hall. Yes, so thank you very much for this, Sam, and for the, for the, the, the people who spotted this on, uh, um, on Facebook and, and alerted us to it. Uh, Sam Hall reports, a beautiful moment. On train today, a conductor passes by, noticing I am watching UK Column live. He taps my shoulder and says, UK Column? I say, yes. He says, wonderful. We've got to fight this. Government is lying, targeting my ethnic community with this poison. We chatted for 10 minutes. We are many, together we are strong. Isn't that lovely? Yes, it is, and we're all smiling, so it's got to be good. So a good point to end. I'd just like to say a really, a really big thank you to the NHS people that are contacting the UK column. As I've said to several people over the last few days, uh, we're, all, we're having trouble keeping up with the number of people contacting us and the volume of information. We do want to uh, take the material that you're giving us and help uh, help get it back out there. We will do that, uh, but it's just been utterly brilliant at the amount of information coming in. And uh, we've got three uh, males in the studio today, and I'm going to say that it's becoming more and more apparent that it is the females, it's the women who are now starting to do the right thing and speak out. So I'm still extremely interested to see where these uh, men are that know full well what's going on in the country but can't manage to speak out. So if you're in a job somewhere and you know what you're doing is wrong, we look forward to the men approaching the UK column with the information. Uh, and of course, many people in the police and indeed uh, some retired from the military who still have not got the courage to speak out. So. I'm going to end today's UK column by saying a big thank you to the ladies and well done. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we'll be back in 10 minutes as usual on the UK column live stream for some extra. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Bye bye. Bye.